This is the Indie Kids Climate Crisis Podcast, where student reporters interview people about the climate crisis. We talk to activists, organizers, scientists, and reporters about how climate change has affected them and us. Hello, I'm Mila. And I'm Alina. I'm in fifth grade. And I'm in fourth grade. We wanted to learn more about the climate crisis because we thought it was important to teach others that we're in a dire situation. It's really fun to be a scientist because I get to follow my curiosity and I get to learn more about how the world works so that I can both be a better caretaker for the world and for people in the world and also get to tell cool stories about the places that I care about. That's Lucy Andrews. She's a scientist that studies water. Thank you for letting, Thank you for letting us, us interview you today. May you tell us your name, age, and job? Absolutely. My name is Lucy Andrews, and I'm 29 years old, and I'm a scientist. I am currently in graduate school trying to become a PhD scientist, which means you can call me Dr. Andrews when I'm done. Have you ever been interviewed before? Only once. I got interviewed by a journalist who wanted to know about California and drought, but that was it. Well, this is gonna be your second time. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you, Lucy. Now let's start with the questions. How and when did you become a scientist? I became a scientist formally in college when I took a geology class that studied rocks and Earth's history, and I loved it. And so I decided to take more classes and just kept learning about geology. And have been a scientist since then. But I also think that science is not just about taking classes. It's about being curious about the world and asking questions about how things work around you. And so really anybody can be a scientist. It doesn't just have to mean that you go to college to study rocks. What's your favorite part of the job as a scientist? Yeah, my favorite part of being a scientist is that I get to work with really cool people. I like scientists and I get to have really interesting conversations with my colleagues, the people I work with, about what they're doing and what motivates them and what they've learned. Scientists do work in different ways. Some scientists do what we call field work, which means they go to a place and they collect samples. They collect plants, they collect rocks, maybe they collect traces of animals, whether that is nests or poop, whereas other scientists use a computer a lot where somebody else has already collected information about the world. And that scientist's job is to study it for patterns to say, this is what's happening. We have all this information. There's a story in it. I, in the past, have done the fieldwork side of things where I've gone to different places to collect information. I've spent a lot of time in the mountains in California where there are a lot of really cool rocks. These days, I do a lot of work with a computer, so I'm traveling less often. What is an ecosystem? An ecosystem is all of the plants and animals that live in a place and depend on each other for survival, for flourishing. Um, So in a river, there are fish, there are insects, there are amphibians like frogs. There are a lot of different types of plants that live in and near the water and They all provide food and habitat for each other in this very interconnected way. Our next question actually has something to do with that. 
what do ecosystems have to do with climate change? <laughs> ecosystems, so the collections of plants and animals that live in a place together, evolved for certain conditions. So there are some animals that do really well when it's hot. There are other animals that don't like hot weather. Some animals need cold water, for example, or a lot of water, or they need it to be really dry. And those are what we'll call climate conditions. Climate talks about whether it's hot or cold year to year on average over long periods of time. And so when those conditions change, when things get hotter or drier, the organisms that compose an ecosystem can't survive. Would you say it's like a domino effect? Yes, a lot of climate impacts are domino effects where one thing happens and then because a lot of ecosystems, because our environment, because our the ways that we depend on our environments is all connected. When one thing changes, a lot of other things change. I talk a lot about rivers. So in a river, it could be that climate change makes drought. When there's a drought, there's less water in the river because it's not raining. When the river has less water, it gets hotter, right? The water is not so cold because it's closer to the sun and there's, it heats up. When the water heats up, some fish species may die. When the fish die, there's less food for the birds that eat the fish, so the birds have problems. So you can see how one thing like climate change has this domino effect throughout an ecosystem that really impacts a lot of different organisms. I have one last question. Mm -hmm. So you see how you gave the example of when the fish died and the birds died because that was their food? Yep. What if an animal like lost its normal food source and then adapted to like a different food source? Like for example, they could eat like, I don't know, maybe like the dead animal carcass? Yeah, there's different animals have different flexibility. There are some animals that can only eat really one or two things just because of how their stomachs work and how they're able to find food. There are other organisms that can eat a whole bunch of different things. Like a classic example is raccoons. Raccoons can eat just about anything. Um, that's why they're often eating pizza out of your trash. Um, but other animals can only eat sort of very specific stuff. So it depends on the animal. Um, and different animals have different abilities to adapt. So there will be some animals that are fine under climate change, you know, right? A lot of urban animals like coyotes and raccoons and some kinds of birds are probably going to be okay. But there are other species that are not very flexible because historically their environments have pretty, have been very relatively unchanging. And so those are the ones that are not going to be able to adapt quickly enough. And that's what we're worried about. Okay, so I have one last question. Okay. And how can the war, like what's happening with Ukraine and Russia, can affect ecosystems out of bombs and they create gases? Yes. So technologies of war, things like bombs, cause a lot of damage to buildings, to farms, and sometimes to people. You know, sometimes they hurt or kill people. And those effects can also happen to animals and to trees and other kinds of plants where if you blow up where they are, they can die. Um, and that can make ecosystems suffer because different parts of the ecosystem um, may not survive and that domino effect shows up. Um, there's also the possibility that the conditions of war and war technologies and weapons have a lot of pollutants in them. 
and those pollutants can get in the water and in the plants that animals eat and things can get poisoned. So that's another big problem. Um, so there are a lot of reasons to argue against war. Many of them are about people and some of them are actually about the environment. So, so basically it's like if the animals don't have any food to eat, then those animals die and it creates like an effect. Yes, exactly. You got it. And so climate change is placing a lot of pressure on ecosystems and particularly certain animal species within ecosystems or plant species that make that interconnectedness of the ecosystem really threatened. When did you start helping the ecosystems and why? I've been doing ecosystem work for about four years. And one of the reasons is that there are certain parks in my city that I really love. I love going to hike in them. I like having picnics in them. And I wanted to be able to take care of them, to take care of the fish in those parks and the trees, birds. And I didn't feel like I knew how to do that. And I wanted to be able to do that. So I decided to go to graduate school to learn how to be the type of scientist that can take care of ecosystems. Okay, so I have another question. How does your job contribute to stopping climate change? My job is to ask questions about how climate change will impact rivers and ecosystems and the water that people get from rivers, right? Like when you drink water out of your tap, it has to come from somewhere. And a lot of the times it comes from a river or a lake. And the challenge with climate change is that the amount of water that we have is changing. And that varies by place. Some places like Arizona, for example, are getting drier. So there's less water to go around. Other places like parts of Brazil are getting wetter. So there's too much water and maybe there's flooding. That could be a problem. So my job is to ask questions about how water will change. Where will we have more? Where will we have less? So that we collectively through our governments in relationship with the people in our lives can decide what to do about that. So my job is to describe what's happening with water and climate so that people who have a decision-making job can decide what to do. What do you want people to know about your work? Because I know that it's like interesting. Thank you. I think it's interesting. I'm glad you think so too. Um, I would like for people to know that climate change is urgent. Um, I think people who are older than, than me and certainly than you don't quite understand that we have five years, maybe 10 years to make some big changes. And we need to start moving away from fossil fuels, from gasoline, for example, and that we can't delay that. We can't wait another 10 years. We need to do that now. Um, so that's my biggest request for people is to treat climate change as something they have to think about and work to solve every single day. Also, to be honest, that's actually sad. <laughs> It is kind of sad, but at the same time, I think it's maybe an opportunity where the old way of doing things doesn't really work anymore. And so we have to all collectively imagine a new way to do things. My biggest concern is that if we don't act quickly enough on climate change, a lot of people will suffer the effects of environmental disaster. And the animals and plants will too, right? It's not just us.
Like we will lose species to extinction, for example. We'll lose our food. Yeah, that would be a problem. What are fossil fuels exactly? Fossil fuels are things that people burn for energy. So they're really embedded in all of our lives. Fossil fuels are used for transportation, cars and airplanes, that kind of thing. But they're also used for manufacturing. So fossil fuels are used to make plastics a lot of the time. Uh, fossil fuels are used for making stuff that you buy and then making heat for houses, for school buildings, that sort of thing. And they're called fossil fuels because they are actually composed of the dead or decomposed organisms that lived in that place millions of years ago. So for example, when trees die and in certain environments, they you know, die, they fall to the ground, they eventually get buried with time. Then under the compaction in the earth, they change chemically into things like um, what we use now as gasoline. Um, so they're actually literal fossils that because of the fact that they were once organisms have a lot of energy in them and we can burn them to release that energy. And yes, I'm saying that fossil fuels are made of dead stuff that got squished and then people pulled it out of the ground and realized you could burn it. Like dinosaurs? <laughs> there might be some dinosaurs in your fossil fuels. It's very possible. They don't look like dinosaurs anymore because they've changed chemically. But once upon a time, that's what they could have been. Why is it important to stop using fossil fuels? So when people burn fossil fuels, they get a lot of energy. But in the process, they release gases that we call greenhouse gases because they make the earth kind of like a greenhouse where it traps heat. And so earth gets hotter. And as it gets hotter, the way that wind blows and clouds move around and water evaporates and then eventually becomes rain, all those patterns change when the earth is hotter. And so by burning fossil fuels, we're releasing greenhouse gases. The greenhouse gases are trapping heat in the earth. That makes it hotter. And then our climate patterns change. And the climate patterns changing is dangerous because it makes weather events more extreme. So tornadoes and hurricanes get bigger. Wildfires can get more destructive. Um, there are a lot more floods and a lot more droughts. So we're not really used to those conditions. And there can be a lot of um, loss of life and consequences for cities and farms. So climate change is a problem. It comes from burning fossil fuels. And that is why we need to stop burning fossil fuels. What can we use instead of fossil fuels? lot of options. Um, the two that I think pe most people know of actually draw energy originally from the sun. So the most obvious of those is solar power, where there are panels that you can install on buildings, um, in empty fields that take sunlight and transform it into energy. So solar power is a great one. There's also wind power. You might see wind turbines around. Um, those take wind, the turbine spins, and when the turbine spins, it generates energy. So that's another great option. Um, other forms of power rely on water movement. So there's hydropower, where if you pass water moving quickly through a turbine, 
that spins and generates electricity. Um, nuclear power is another option, um, where by working with atoms, basically, you can create energy. Um, then there are some that are a little bit more sort of experimental, like people are starting to think about using waves in the ocean for energy, using tides, because they, in their movement, create a lot of energy. And so maybe there's a way to harness that. Um, and then, the, yeah, I mean, there are other options. People are thinking about this a lot, but I would say the most common are solar energy, wind energy, hydropower energy, and nuclear energy. What if anything gives you hope? A lot of things give me hope. Having conversations like this gives me hope. You are going to be maybe the future scientists or the future politicians or the future teachers, or, you know, maybe you have a different idea, future writers, future journalists. And to know that is exciting because I think you're going to take care of the world. You're going to fix a lot of problems and I'll do it with you. So that's one thing that gives me hope. Another thing that gives me hope is that the natural world is really resilient. And by that, I mean, it can bounce back from hard times if we just give it the space to do that. So if we stop doing the bad things, if we stop burning gasoline. And if we stop building in natural environments, like cutting down forests and that kind of thing, nature can heal itself. We just need to give it the opportunity. What are things that everyday people listening to this can do to help? Everybody has a job when it comes to fixing climate change. And to fix climate change, we need to do things as individuals. And we also need to work as a whole society. So there's a lot of different things to do across those two levels. One thing that you can do is use less energy. You can turn off lights when you're not in a room and you don't need them. Or you can use less water or you can walk or ride your bike, that kind of thing. You can eat more vegetables and less meat. That's another way. That way we don't cut down forests to build cattle ranches, for example. So more vegetables is good. You can also talk to people about climate change. We need to keep talking about it so that people remember that it's really important. So the kind of work that you're doing in doing a podcast, for example, is really helpful. You can also work with your schools or with other organizations you're a part of to think about ways to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. You can think about how to put solar panels on your school, for example. That's another thing. And you can keep reading and learning yourself. That's also very important. So those are some things that people can do. If your listeners are of voting age, you know, 18 or older, they can vote for politicians that are going to do something about climate change. And in a few years, that will be you guys being able to vote. Thanks. Thank you. All I've got to say is you two are fabulous and very good interviewers. And this was really fun. What about science or climate change or ecosystems is exciting to you? I collect rocks. I have a, I have a big collection. I could show you. I love that. I have it right here with you. Rocks are amazing. Way to go. Y'all should be scientists. I'm going to be a teacher. That's great, too. We need those. One time I went to the beach and I found a shark tooth. No way. <laughs> Super cool. I've never found a shark tooth. Well, I think this is a shark tooth. These are some of my rocks. Oh, yeah. And they've got a nice little box, too. Good job taking care of your rocks. They're special. We would like to thank you, Zoe, for helping us make this podcast episode. This podcast was produced by Indie Kids, 
a nonprofit 501c3 organization that creates social justice news for kids by kids. In addition to this podcast, Indie Kids has a newspaper. Go to our website at www.indiekids.org to read the latest issue or to sign up for one of our writing or podcasting workshops. We're able to do this work and provide our student scholarships thanks to grants, workshop tuition, and individual donors. If you're able, make a tax-deductible donation to Indie Kids today. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Indie Kids News. See you next time.